Good morning, listeners. It is King 13, and I am coming to you on the Sober Town train today. I'm going to take you into a wonderful world of sobriety. But first, I just wanted to give a shout out to Sober Town. For those of you guys who are out there listening, it's a website which is like a complete one stop shop. Um, there's lots of podcasts like the one I'm about to do today. Um, there are recommended books, there are videos, there's photos of tattoos, there's lots of blogs, there's lots of stuff there that you can go that will help with your journey. And also a, a big shout out to the IAS community because most of my guests and myself um, are members of that community. I know without it, I certainly wouldn't be sitting here um, sober today. And there are many, many people that can support and help you. Just if you're not on there, get on at day zero, you'll meet lots of friends. You can comment, you can make posts, you will get your own little tribe and it will keep you on track. And there's lots and lots of uh, timelines and people to follow. So having said that, I'm really, really excited today because I've got a guest who is pretty popular on the app and she, like me, has been around in this world for a little while. We're not, we're not young bucks. So for any of you young ones out there and for people who decide to get sober, later on in life, which uh, we have both done. I think that there's some good stuff that's really gonna come out today. So I wanna give a big warm welcome to my lovely friend, Namaste, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Happy to be here. Oh, I know, right? It's so exciting. <laughs> I, um, I've been trying to get you to do this for a long time. And you know, there is a lot to consider, but the main reason listeners that we do this is to help you, to hopefully give you some tools and not make you feel alone and just make you feel like, you know what, there are other people like you out there. And um, as I said, Namaste and I have been doing this. How many days are you now? Oh God, uh, I'm, uh, I, I crossed near, into, I got eight months in. Yes, you're right near me, I think, because I'm at 260, no, sorry, 260, 256, 257. Yeah, I we're close. I, I'm 248. Yeah, I was going to say, I reckon you're just behind me. Yeah, that's terrific. And it's great to see because together we're over 500. That sounds really, really good. So let's just start with um, wherever you want to start really about, yeah, where you've been, where you are and what got you here. Okay. Um, well, um, I'm a little nervous about this, but um, when I was making notes to do this, a lot of stuff came up that I had buried and it's mm. like, oh my God. Because after right. after a certain amount of months, your memory starts to improve. And then it's like you start to actually think clearly, which is a good thing. So yes. this is this is a therapeutic thing for me to do. Um, so anyway, um, when I was a kid, we actually never had alcohol in the house. Unlike a lot of other people I've heard on the podcast that had a lot of heavy drinking growing up, uh, neither one of my parents drank at all. Um, not because they gave it up, just because it was just not part of their life or my grandparents or anybody in my family. So they just were not drinkers. Um, so I don't know if that's good or bad to a point where it was forbidden fruit, you know, sort of. So when I got to be a little bit um, older, I was so curious about what this was all about. And I couldn't wait to drink, you know. So um, anyhow, my parents ended up divorcing when I was about 10 and I had three little brothers. So they were eight, six and four. 
And my mom, my dad just left. I mean, we didn't hear from him for like 10 years. And, um, and so there was no child support. There was no health insurance. There was nothing, no contact. He just took off and disappeared off the face of the earth. So um, my mom, uh, we went from living in a very nice house on a very, in a very high-end neighborhood to um, poverty really fast and uh, moved to a different town. But um, she raised four kids with a waitress job. And at times we didn't have water. We didn't have heat. Um, we were really, really poor. Um, but my mom was awesome. She was very, um, very cool mom. She always found things to do that were free. And so I, you know, kept us busy doing ice skating and hiking and all kinds of things that I didn't really think I was missing out on anything. Um, so I can't say that that I had a bad childhood because it was, we were poor, but it was okay. Um, the only thing I will say is that I was severely lacking in, um, in attention, in male attention, because I don't ever remember ever being um, hugged or having anybody ever say, I love you, um, and no physical affection. So when I became like a, like a teenager, young teenager, I was like starved for that male attention. Um, I wanted, I wanted a man in my life, you know, I wanted a guy, you know, and um, so I think that was kind of important because um, it really affected me for the rest of my life, um, is always looking for uh, male approval, um, and, um, and I think alcohol fueled some of my reckless behavior as far as that, that went, so um, so when I started to make some friends, maybe 13, 14, 15 years old, we all started sneaking booze. Like I didn't because my house didn't have any, but my friends all would sneak booze out of their, you know, whiskey bottles and put iced tea in or put water in the vodka bottles. And we would put it in baby food jars and then we would take it with us to the high school dances. <laughs> and we would drink like mixtures of like whiskey, rum, vodka, because we were only skimming off a little bit off of each bottle, mixing it all together. So it probably tasted like NyQuil, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I loved the feeling. It was just like a couple sips of that. And I just had liquid courage and uh, felt really good. I, I just remember just feeling normal, feeling good. Um, and looking forward to the next time I could do it. And um, so basically, you know, it was the 60s, you know, um, I'm older than, than you. Um, so when I was in high school, it was uh, 1966, 67, 68. And it was at the, the peak of the, uh, the hippie, hippie drug culture and everything else going on then. Um, so, you know, I would say that, you know, I really took advantage of that and uh, did a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, boys were really important because I, like I said, I had, was, you know, wanted that male attention. 
So I have a lot of guys for, for friends and um, guys always had alcohol and they always had pot and they always had other stuff. So, you know, it was like, oh, okay, party time, you know, and, you know, um, I guess I, that's when I really started to be a heavy substance abuse user of, of multiple stuff, multiple stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, every, every weekend it was drinking pot and other stuff, you know, hallucinogens and pills and you name it. I was game to try anything. You know, I was pretty wild. Um, I imagine you were pretty popular too. Because <laughs> for those of you who can't see this woman, she looks fantastic for her age. She you don't look nowhere near your age. So alcohol, um, sobriety, I was going to say, well, alcohol, I don't know what you look like when you were drinking, but sobriety looks fantastic on you. <laughs> you know, people have been telling me that lately and it's really making yeah. me feel good. Because I you look really good. My face has changed since I, I stopped know. drinking. It's got I, so thin. I used to be very puffy. My eyes were real puffy. And um, I've had people tell me I look, um, I'm glowing. Yes. Which is like so funny because like I never had anybody tell me that my whole life. So I'm 68 for anybody that doesn't know. Yeah, and she doesn't look it, let me tell you. You do, you look fantastic, girl. Really good. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, as I said, because you were like me, you were the eldest, you know, with three younger kids underneath you. So that would have meant, I would have think growing up like me, you had to do chores and help your mum because there wasn't that man around. And there was mm -hmm. the other three siblings. And things had to get done. You know, life went on, didn't it? They were, had to be fed. I mean, I was cooking the family dinners. And I mean dinners for my parents to get home to when I was 14. So, you know, you and I probably grew up quite quick in that sense. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there was, we weren't mollycoddled as kids. I don't believe, were we? At all. No. I mean, we were, we were expected to, like, my mom, like, really instilled work ethic in us. Yeah. Um, we were not allowed to stay home from school unless we were projectile bombed. Same. And, <laughs> and uh, like, like you, I was the oldest with three little brothers. So uh, my mom, being a waitress, she would work like the lunch shift and then she would work, go back in at five. So we ate at four, four or 4.30, we ate dinner. She, she was big on like always making sure we were all together to eat. But then it was up to me to, to supervise the homework and the bedtime uh, with the three little brothers. Um, and that was okay. I didn't mind. You know, I did a load of laundry and the kids to bed and she would be home by 10. And, you know, it, she, she didn't work in a nightclub or a bar. She worked in, or, you know, a nice restaurant. And she would, she would bring us home. It's <laughs> so funny. She would bring us home, like, basically leftovers off of people's yeah. plates. Like, oh, somebody would have lobster and they only wanted to eat the tail. So she would bring home the the claws for us and it would be like, oh, we didn't care. We're eating off somebody else's plate. <laughs> but anyway, I had no, jobs. No, you're right. I was going to say, I didn't mind doing, I didn't mind doing chores either. It was sort of like my way of helping mom and thinking she'd be proud of me mm -hmm. and um, kind of made you feel grown up. And I've got a brother and a sister who are younger than me. Um, so, yeah, no, sorry. I was just going to say, I was just thinking back, it was like, I would do any, anything to please my mother, you know, and just keep th keep things. I think when you've had a rough time, you, you do anything to keep the peace and keep things safe, you know, and just, yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah. So oh, no, no. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the way it was. And then I got a job 
Well, I did babysitting um, yeah. from a really early age. And then the day I turned 16, I had a job lined up uh, because I wanted a car. And her rule was, um, you can't have a car until you can pay your own insurance and all your own everything. Because we were not allowed to touch her car. She had one car to get to work and back and it was off limits to kids. So I think that taught me a lot, a lot about work ethic. And I was always very responsible, even though I partied like hell. Um, so I bought a car for a hundred bucks and I had a job and I was happy. I was out of there. I was like, Phew. you know, <laughs> so hundred dollars. It was a piece of shit, but it was like it had Life wheels and it had a motor. I know, right? You think about it. I was the same. My parents said, you want a car, you're going to have to earn it. So I had part-time jobs. 1200 bucks. bought a Holden Tirana. It was a great little car. And then rode it off within two months. Bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> just like that. God, I wasn't even drinking. I was just a bad driver. But anyway, 1200 bucks. That sounds good. What was your car? It was a, it was a Chevy Nova. And oh. it was funny because... When they said what color was it, I would say like uh, I didn't really have a color because it was like so old that the the paint was like it was like it was like just like a neutral color all over. Um, Whatever color it wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know I drove that car for a year yeah, and then I, yeah. I sold it for a hundred bucks, so I got my oh, money's worth out of it. Good businesswoman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was all about the motor, mate. As long as it went, that was it. Anyway. Oh, I love the old cars. Yeah. So go yeah. on. So where did you get a job? Um, I had a job at the supermarket where pretty much everybody worked, you know, when they got jobs. Um, it was, uh, you know, the biggest supermarket in town. Um, so I would just go there right after school at, you know, at 2.30 and I would work till nine um, pretty much every day. Um, I loved it because it was also getting out of the house and then I had my own money. So I could buy clothes for the first time, you know, my own clothes and, you know, and, you know, had money to, you know, go to, we used to go over the line, they called it over the line. So New York had a drinking age of 18. And back then your driver's license was typed out by a human that had a typewriter. <laughs> yes, listen, she said it. By yeah, there was a no, human. There was no, um, the, <laughs> <laughs> there was none of this like uh, pictures or any of that stuff. It just had your name, your birthday, and you could change that. I was like a master of changing the date, you know, just enough to get me into 18 years old. <laughs> oh, God, the things we did, yeah. And then, you know, the bouncers at these places didn't care anyway because they were making money on these underage kids, and we were driving drunk all the time, and it was like, really bad um but um so anyway so i did that uh we always did a lot of partying we skipped school a lot um we would skip school and go over to new york state and just day drink all day and then i would go to work sometimes right from there you know and you know i i don't know it was crazy but then um one thing happened that was pretty significant um when I was, I think, 17, I have to look to see exactly because I've kind of buried it. I had a, a, a car accident where I actually ran someone over. Um, it was nighttime and I was coming back from New York State and uh, following two other friends 
we were going back to Connecticut and there was this guy that was uh, intoxicated in the road and the first friend hit him and he went up over the car and landed on the road and then I ran him over full on. And all I remember is just taking my hands off the wheel and just, I think I just went into shock because I'll never forget that sound of the thump, the thump. Um, and so that, that really changed my life. I mean, I, I went into like really bad depression and anxiety after that. Um, the guy ended up actually having a girlfriend who was also an alcoholic and she found it, it was, of course, they put it in the paper, you know, with our names. And so, um, she started to send me death threats and, um, you know, threats like, I know who you are. I know where you live. I'm going to kill you for what you did you know, da-da-da-da-da, you know, my mom brought the notes up to the police station. They said there wasn't anything they could do because she hadn't done anything and that they knew who she was, but unless she actually did something to me, um, there wasn't anything we could do, but that just increased the anxiety mm. and the stress and the depression. So I sort of turned, I really turned to alcohol and pills um back then you didn't go to therapy I mean it just nowadays if something like that happened you would be in a therapist's office mm. that night that That's day right. yeah and back then you did not you just didn't no. get therapeutic <clears throat> help for anything and so I basically suffered from that traumatic experience for like most of my young adult life um, and I had to go to school the next day and all, all the kids knew what happened. I felt shame. I was, I just felt, oh my God, I killed somebody, you know, like. So he didn't live? No, he died. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. So what happened to you? Nothing. Because you were, you were they, six... We were not intoxicated. Believe it or not, we were not intoxicated. We had gone So he there. was, and so he, he had gone out onto the road so that the, end result was that he was unavoidable it was just an accident yeah yeah I which mean, it was the police told us that his uh alcohol level was through the roof um and they didn't even test us because we at, we went to the emergency room because we were all in shock and um yeah. Yeah. And, and you know rode in the ambulance and all that kind of stuff but they knew they could tell they could tell that we were not intoxicated and they just nothing happened uh there was right, no arrest okay. made right. or anything like that i'm just curious um, okay yeah all right yeah okay well it was unavoidable so yeah okay so then you'd be yeah so this woman's threatening you you're using the pills you're drinking your anxiety as it would be beyond you're not getting help from anyone you're just trying no. to cope day to day at this point yeah and like my mom didn't really even understand any of that stuff i mean she never took it she never even took an aspirin in her life you know like yeah. And she didn't believe in going to the doctor and we didn't have insurance anyway. And I mean, I never went to the doctor for anything, doctor, dentist, none of that, you know, growing up. And so there just wasn't any, any real help for that or way to understand it. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, the other two drivers have since died 
of, of alcoholism. Uh, the two other kids that were driving the first two cars yeah. died like 30 years ago um, of substance abuse related deaths. And I really think that mental health is so, so important because a lot of times, you know, not getting help can make you really become an addict um, yeah. if, if you don't get help. So my advice to anybody that has teenagers or kids if you even suspect anything's going on to try to get them into therapy. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I, I sort of became addicted to back in those days, there was like uppers and downers were like a big thing. They're off the market now, the stuff we used to take, but like I had a friend that's whose father owned a pharmacy and that was really convenient because he worked in the pharmacy and he could just skim those pills right off the, they didn't even keep them in a locked cabinet back in those days. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, there was a steady supply of, um, it, I guess the equivalent of Valium today. Um, and then we would, and then I would just drink whenever I could. And um, I became very promiscuous um, during those, those days and, uh, and after. Um, I think just uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> yeah, funny, there's a song about that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so I just cruised around, like basically I knew I wasn't going to college because uh, we didn't have the money. And um, all my friends went to college. So uh, when they all left for college, I, I switched over and got a job in a factory working swing shift um, and, uh, basically hung out with the, with the people who stayed in town, the older, older boys, and the older kids who stayed in town that were either coming back from Vietnam or back and forth. And, um, there was just a lot of drinking, mm. um, and, uh, a lot of, just a lot of, that's all there was to do in my town. You know, there really wasn't much else. Looking back, it was a pretty depressing time for me because I think that's all I really did was go to work and get high and get drunk and, you know, exist. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah, like I pretty much let, I pretty much would, I, I put boys on a pedestal. I thought, I just love boys. <laughs> I just thought, I just wanted that male attention. I wanted, I want, I guess I wanted the father I never had or the attention I never really had. And, you know, I found it with, with my guy friends and, um, and I did some stupid stuff and I basically went along with anything they said. So, um, and, and that wasn't, that wasn't healthy either. Um, so, um, I was actually sexually assaulted quite a few times. Um, blame by myself. These guys or by yeah, guys? by dates, you know. Um, then just yeah. going too far, yeah, and just yeah, listening to you and I wouldn't call it rape. I would call it. I thought about this last night as I was thinking about this whole thing, and I, it's it wasn't rape. It was it was more abuse, and I would call it sexual abuse, right? Um, manipulation and sexual abuse. Right. Um, and 
I was probably old enough to know better, but not not emotionally equipped to know what was going on. So uh, just my self-esteem just kept getting worse and worse. More and how old are you at this point? How old are you? I would say between the ages of 16 and 18. That's what I was going to say, 16 to 18. Okay, good. Right. Yep. So this went on for a period of time. This was just, it became your sort of norm. You knew it wasn't good for you, but you wanted the attention. So, you, and you liked hanging out with them. So you just took the bad with a little bit of the good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And um, probably on till 19, because right. I even moved out. I moved out and got my own place um, with a couple of girls and that was party central. Yeah. Um, but I was really proud of myself. I was self-sufficient. I had, I worked two jobs. I wanted a hot shower and unlimited water supply. And, <laughs> and uh, so I grew up pretty fast. And, um, and then I met my husband, my to-be husband. Um, and he was handsome. He was strong. He was not a heavy drinker or a heavy partier. And he put me on a pedestal and he, you know, it was the first time that I felt that somebody really loved me for who I was. And so bang, we got married six months later. Like it was like, okay, we're done partying. I want to be Martha Stewart. Sign me up. You know, so where did you meet him? I'm always curious. Well, when I got my first little place, it was in another town next town over yeah so um i met him i met him through one of my roommates um oh, okay yep and uh it was great because he didn't really know any of my my history from before right. so i could i started fresh with him basically yeah. Yeah. um which which was good um so we got married really young at 20 um and I wanted out of that whole life. I just wanted, I wanted to be Martha Stewart. I wanted to be a perfect little wife and have children and have a little gingerbread house and live happily ever after. Cause I had a, I had a husband and he was, he was awesome. He was handsome. He was strong. He was a carpenter. He could fix things. It was like, oh my God, my, my father was a carpenter. So it was like, you know. So, but very soon I found out that he was abusive and uh, he was Irish, had a hot temper. Um, and right off the bat, right in the beginning, he started becoming very abusive. Um, he didn't hit me, but he hit the walls. He threw things at me. He, he was controlling about every minute of my day. I had to be accountable for what I was doing where I was going, um, financial stuff, like, and then he became physically violent with our dog, um, almost killed the dog twice because the dog rolled in mud. I mean, yeah. And I had to, you know, pull the dog out from under him and it was scary. He was just lashing out everywhere. Yeah. Except, except at that point, yeah, he was lashing out physically on you, but every, it was everywhere. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. even just to observe it, you know, yeah, it's sometimes you almost want to take the whack yourself and take it away from the dog. I would have, you know. I know. I, I, I just, 
you know, like once the dog, because the dog rolled in something and he brought the dog out to where it rolled and he just kept shoving the dog's head into the, into mm. the mud. Dog, and, yeah, was, and, yeah. and I just won't go on about it, but it was no. really, really bad. Another time it was the couch, the dog chewed a little hole in the fucking couch that we got off the side of the road. You know, it was like not a, not yeah, a, it wasn't, it about, was a the dog and couch. wasn't about the couch. Yeah. It wasn't about either of those things. It was about the shit that he had going on in here. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, you know, he came from an alcoholic abusive. There you home. go. Yeah, and um, and again, no therapy. Didn't understand it. Didn't want to tell anybody. Yep, yeah. Because yeah. I was shameful, and I didn't want to tell anybody. And then he would change from being this loving guy. I mean, from this this monster to the next day, a loving, kind, sweet soul. So I was like mentally all over the place and i was drinking i was drinking a lot of beer at that time like probably two six packs a night and just to kind of like cope with the situation um never really getting drunk just kind of numbing myself um and then when we i got pregnant i stopped drinking completely and I stayed sober for many years. I would say 10, 12 years. I didn't drink at all. Just busy like, being a I was going to be the perfect mother mom, again. A wife. Perfect mother, yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect wife, you know, hot muffins before work in the morning, that kind of stuff, you know. And he was still abusive. Um, he was still abusive. And uh, I just dealt with it. Um, he, he was abusive with the kids. Um, a little, you know, some physical abuse that I would get in the middle of and, and stop. And I was on eggshells the entire time. Um, always waiting for the next shoe to drop, the next slight little thing that would set him off. Dinner was five minutes late. A kid left a toy in the yard, you know, like it didn't matter what it was. It was just looking for a fight, you know, and so basically, um, basically I lived on eggshells and I didn't know any better what to do about it because I was afraid they'd take my kids away if I told yeah. anybody. And, um, so my answer to that was just to try to, try to fix it. I'll be a better wife. I'll cook a nice dinner. I'll, you know, I'll wear a pretty dress when he comes home from work, you know, I did all that stuff. Um, it, it was twisted when I look back at it, but I, I, that's like a whole nother thing. But I think there are women out there probably on IIS who are living this kind of a life. And um, there is help out there now. There didn't used to be, but there is now. Um, and so my advice would be to talk to somebody. Um, Therapists are sworn to secrecy and basically anonymous and you can go and you can talk mm -hmm. as long as nobody's being physically hurt where they have to report it, you know, and that to me, that causes a whole nother, honestly, that's a whole nother side thing, which I think is wrong in this society because how are you supposed to get help? You mm -hmm. know, um, anyway, so then I got pregnant just when I was going to end the marriage, really. Um, I had a 12 year old and a 15 year old. And I was pretty much trying to get the nerve up and I got pregnant and mm. it was like, oh shit, now what, you know? 
And so we had a talk and he promised he was gonna completely change and everything was gonna be hunky-dory and rosy and everything was gonna be fine. So, and he was gonna be Mr. Wonderful. So I bought it and we went ahead with it. And um, he was pretty good for a couple of years and then right back. But I met a friend who was a neighbor two houses down and she was a young mom with a same age daughter born the day before mine was born. And she invited me over for wine in the afternoon and I hadn't been drinking at all. And so that was like, oh my God, I felt so much better after having those Mm. couple glasses of wine in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then when he came home from work, I could handle it. I could handle the stress. I didn't feel so stressed out. So that started it. And I would say that was 26 years ago. And uh, my daughter's 28 now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started the daily drinking. Um, And it was just daily drinking, um, you know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon until bedtime, uh, mostly wine, um, basically every day. Um, At this point, you said he got better. So this is your third child right? Mm-hmm. And you said that he, for a couple of years, got better. At this particular point when you're with the neighbor, is he still behaving or did things go back to him and his anger issues again? Oh, he had already been back to that. Um, right. So the anger yeah, issues were, yeah, yeah, like he wasn't hitting, any, hitting anybody at that point. Right. Okay. Um, he, actually, my oldest son put him up against the wall. And said, "Don't you ever fucking touch me again, or I'll kill you." Wow, oh, God! And that was good because that ended that ended that. Okay. But he became he was very mentally abusive, or I don't know what you call it, emotionally abusive. Like dinner had to be on the table at five thirty. If it was five forty or five thirty-five, he would not eat it. And then we would he would get up and leave the table. And me and the kids would be sitting there in complete silence, almost afraid to eat our dinner because we were afraid he'd come back in the room. So that's the kind of eggshell life we had. Yeah, that's control. That's just simple control and him wanting to have power. And the thing is, in those situations where I have found with people that I have spoken to, it doesn't matter how many muffins you bake or how good you are or how there is, you're never going to be in his eyes. And this is the sad thing for women. Is you're trying to do everything right, and the more it's almost like the more things you do right, the more he gets set off. If that makes sense, I've seen it happen, and there's no pleasing them. They they don't need a reason because you're trying to combat his anger and making it nice for him. And it's not about all that. It's about him just going to be like that regardless. At that time, whatever he was dealing with, he was just in that mode and it wasn't he wasn't going to let it down but there is a lot of control there and maybe it's because he couldn't see when he was growing up what was going on in his household he couldn't control it he was just subject to it just like now he subjected you guys to it you know i do believe in these repetitive patterns i really do to a certain degree because i've seen them happen oh it's so true i mean he grew up with his mother getting black eyes and you know, oh, actually, his mother used to a few times came over 
uh, to get away from my father-in-law and sleep on our couch because yeah. with black eyes. And you know what? Nobody said a word to his no. father. Nobody said a word. And she would just like the next day go home. And it was like. I think it was more was common it. than it was more common than we actually think back then. Really, I really and do think that. She, the only one she ever confided in were, were the nuns. And, and my ex used to say, you know, on Sunday, we would, we would get dragged to church yelling and screaming. And then by Sunday afternoon, the nuns would be coming over trying to salvage my mother from what yeah. happened, you know? Mm. And so that's, he grew up like that. That was his example. And um, there's no excuse for it, but no, I finally but went to therapy because actually the friend, the friend who was a girlfriend who started me back on the drinking and I can't yeah. blame her because I, I drank more than her after getting started, but, um, but she, she went to therapy and I was like, wow, how do you go to therapy? How, how does that work? You know, yeah, how does it work? Yeah. yeah. So like, I actually went to therapy. I found there was a place in town that you could go to an anonymously and they would refer you to a psychiatrist or a therapist. And if you didn't have the money to pay, um, it was free. And so I did that. And what it was funny from what you just said, because what he said to me was, if your two-year-old was having a temper tantrum, would you reward him? Mm. And I light bulb mm. went off and I was like, oh my God, I'm rewarding the bad behavior and I've been doing mm. it forever. And so he was like, no, you do timeout, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, so why aren't you putting that man in timeout? you know, and, and, and instead of rewarding the bad behavior by, you know, by trying to make everything nice and, and all this. So yeah, that was good advice. Did I really do it? I really couldn't. It, it, the, the patterns were so far gone and so, so embedded, it was really hard to change anything. So we just grew farther and farther apart, really. Um, and uh, I became, like when when I finally divorced him and finally got the nerve to do that, I explained to him that it was like every time a situation would happen, I put a brick on the wall and every other every time a brick and another brick and another brick and another brick. And it was like that last yeah. brick I had to like shove it into that hole, bang it in, and that was it. Well, I think what ha what happened too is um I had developed um I guess the clinical term is generalized anxiety. Yep. So I had I had generalized anxiety that I I didn't know what it was until I until I went finally went for help. But I had heart palpitations, pressure on my chest like like an elephant sitting on my chest. Um and uh you know, basically that fear and flight thing um was so embedded in me that um alcohol relieved that to a point. It was like I was self-medicating because Absolutely. after I would have a yeah. couple of drinks, it would calm that down a little bit, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that's all I had. To, that's all I had at my disposal um, to, to do. Um, so, you know, I just dealt with, I just dealt with it that way. Um, and it was like, I was, I, and then I started to go to the gym. 
And I was like, get up at 5.30 in the morning and go to the gym at six o'clock, do a spinning class, da 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 get home, put the kids, get the kids up, put them on the school bus, and then, you know, do that, and then start drinking in the late afternoon, drink until 10 o'clock at night, get up and do it again, hungover, tired. Every day was like that. And I just was trying to keep a, keep a grasp on my life and, and raise a, a little kid that, because I had my daughter then, and she was like four or five years old at that point. And you know, so I'm doing it all over again. And I had teenage boys in the house that were starting to drive and date. And <laughs> it was, it was craziness. And so I also, um, I also had uh, three very close relatives with severe addiction problems during this time. Um, one of them was my biological brother um, who almost died. Um, from alcoholism. He went into an alcoholic coma and was basically in bedridden and then in a wheelchair and in a nursing home for three years before he finally was able to recover part of his life. And he's still on disability and he doesn't drink, but he's got drop foot and frontal lobe damage and all of that. And then... Um, you know, I had a brother-in-law that actually two years ago, we lost him. He had been battling alcoholism his whole life, um, my ex-husband's brother, um, and he died. He froze to death. He was drinking, living under a bridge, and it's, 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 it's really sad because my ex-husband mm. had no empathy for his brother. During the time that we were going through all that. I was like, I was like the codependent queen. Okay. I was going to save everybody. I was going to focus on these poor people, these souls, and I was going to save them. I was going out in the middle of the night to find them. I was like taking them to rehabs, going into the hospital for a detox with them. All the while in denial about my own stuff, because I was focusing on saving all these other people. You know, so anyway, uh, he and my ex-husband used to say to him, you're not going to fucking quit drinking till you're roasting squirrels under a bridge. Well, he was basically roasting squirrels under a bridge in the wintertime and he stumbled and fell into the river and froze and drowned to death. Mm, and that so was sorry. like two years ago. And he was a beautiful, lovable person. Um, and so that was really sad. And so I've been dealing with men, again, men, family members with, with, with these problems um, and ignoring my own. Um, I had, I've had 19 fractures in my life. Um, I have fallen so many times and broken ankles, feet, I'm just, I'm just shaking my head going, yep, yep. I haven't had 19, but I can certainly resonate with being on crutches like five. I, was, I think I was on five times in five years. Really? Oh, Lord. Yeah, with my ankles, yeah. And you broke mm. ankles too? I did a lot of straining and a lot of pulling ligaments. And, yeah, once you do a sports injury, the ankles don't heal very well. The ligaments don't seem to go back together because there's so many tendons. Um, but they just don't mesh. And so 
I, for a big girl, had very little ankles. And, yeah, I just, even now, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, I always go over and trip and all sorts of things. So, but 19's a lot. <laughs> yeah, 19. I, I mean, I counted. I've counted them. And uh, because when I, you know, a while back when it was only like 11, I, I had a good count. And then it was like, oh, my God. Well, two years ago was the worst. I had been drinking and I tripped off of a four inch step and I broke my left leg in numerous places, left ankle and my right foot at the same time. And then I ended up in a wheelchair. And at the time I was dating a guy that was an alcoholic and he loved the fact that I was like incapacitated in a wheelchair because now he could like completely take care of me and control me and bring me beautiful bottles of wine. And so, yeah, I, um, you know, I, I dated him for a year. That was not, not healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I ended that relationship because it, I did realize that it was, it was not healthy. It was going, my physical condition was, was not good. I developed neuropathy in both feet. Um, mm -hmm. Doctor tells me it has nothing to do with the fractures um, or alcohol, but I, I feel like I've had it 10 years and uh, I don't have a lot of feeling in my feet. Um, I still hike. I, I go for walks every day. I do. I'm very active. Um, I still do a lot of stuff. I have feeling in my feet, but not like a normal person. So I'm now I'm now that I'm sober eight months, um, I'm determined to never drink again and to um, not and to control the, the fractures and the falling and the tripping and the not watching where I'm going and careless behavior that caused a lot of these falls um you know so that that's a physical thing that you know I think has been caused by my drinking um and it's hard to admit that um that I probably did that to myself and uh all I can do now is to try to get healthy um and so basically that's what I'm doing um it's like you and i said before you know even at our age and for people listening out there you know we're up there i'm 58 and you know we've started we've decided at these ages to get sober so we chances are we are going to have a, you know if you had had a few falls and a few breaks i've been relatively lucky i could things could have been a whole lot worse i've got burns on my hands from the ovens you know when you put the oven thing down and you lean on that pssst, yeah, well, guess what? I haven't had a burn since I put the bottle down. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a really nice thing. And, I mean, you just think back and you think it was so silly. And it never hurts that night. It just hurts the next day. And so does your embarrassment and your shame. And you're thinking, oh, God, not again. Here's I know. And then people, your people that are close to you are aware that you're drinking, right? And so they may not say anything to you, but like in the back of their mind, they're like, oh, I wonder if she was like two sheets to the well, wind when she that's fell. That's exactly right. And it gets to the stage as, you know, the years go on and you behave, they know that you're a continuous drinker and you haven't put it down. Just as we get to 
we actually don't trust ourselves. They begin not to trust us either because it's just action, isn't it? It's just what they observed and what they've seen. Now the nicest feeling for me is that I can trust myself today. I am trustworthy and I can trust myself. And I don't know if your family and the people and your friends around you have observed that and made comments to you, but I mean, I can even certainly see it. You know, I can see you. I haven't seen you for a little bit um, on the Zooms and what have you. But yeah, I mean, we still we still you know natter and chatter on on IAS, but you do change and things. I don't know. It's just nice when people do realise because inside we feel different now. We are aware and we have accepted it. We can't change what was yesterday. But I'm proud of us for doing it at this age because it would have been very easy just to continue on until, you know, they put me in the barbecue or put me in the ground, you know. <laughs> the barbecue. <laughs> oh, well, you know, the, the, the pizza oven or whatever you want to call it. Oh, my God, I, I love I it. I haven't decided. I've got a problem, Lua. I've got a problem, Namaste. I was going to say my problem is that I don't want to be buried and I don't want to, um, I don't want to be cremated. Can you give me a third option? <laughs> Jeez, uh, uh, I guess you could go on a you could go on a surfboard and have somebody just push you out into the ocean and yeah, be shark bait. Oh no, then I'll get you. Then I'll be shark bait, and I don't want to get frozen. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole different topic. But you know, we'll sort that out. Hopefully, I've got time to sort that out. But you know, it, the trust thing is a big thing. It's it's huge. Just like you want to be able to trust your partner or whoever you're with. You want your family and friends to be able to say, God, I'm proud of you. You know, you are different and I can trust you with the kids or the grandkids or whatever it is that may be. Um, I don't know. It's a really, that, that for me is a really good feeling. That's huge. I have three grandchildren, two of them, two of them live really far away. Um, they're two years old and five and I don't get to see them very often, but my, uh, one of my kids has a 13 month old that lives right in my town. Oh. And so that's been hugely important for me um, when I got, you know, stopped drinking because I want to be, I want to be that um, responsible grandmother. I, I don't want them to ever feel if they've asked me to babysit that I'm going to pick up a drink while they're out somewhere having dinner. I don't want them to ever have that ever enter their minds. Um, I don't want her to smell it on me. Um, and I have a second chance. I feel like I have a second chance at um, enjoying that. Uh, even though I wasn't drinking when, when my kids were little, um, I don't think I was as healthy mentally as I am now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm out of the marriage. I'm on my own. I'm self-supporting. Um, um, I have it together, you know, yeah. and I feel confident. For the first time really um i trust myself i can go out to dinner now and i know i'm not going to drive drunk like this one hand <laughs> on one eye oh god and my hand the other hand on the wheel and 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 almost missing mailboxes on my way down my road you know and and that's hard to admit that i did that but i did it you know and i i think a lot of us did it <laughs> yeah um, yeah it's it's you know you're right the things that we were too ashamed to admit and and then again once you accept it and you put it aside it's not the person that you are today so you can just move on but I'm going to take you back to when did things get 
really you realise that hey, I'm having a problem because hey, you were drinking with the neighbour, you were dealing with at that time your husband. You know, you would have been living in fear. I would have think for your children as well, even though they were getting older. It's still you were still dealing with a lot back then, and alcohol, as you said, gave you some reprieve. Mm -hmm. Well, I know I was like, I was afraid to fire. I was afraid to get out of the marriage. Uh, I was I was with him 38 years. It's a lot. It was a long time. And I just remember I heard about this organization called Susan B. Anthony. And um there it's a foundation that's that's uh funded with from donations and it's to help victim victims of abuse. And they have a hotline and uh you can call the hotline 24 hours a day and just speak to a, a therapist. So something really bad had happened that that one day and I had been given the phone number from somebody had given me the phone number and I called and I cried on the phone with that therapist for two hours. And then she said, why don't you come on in tomorrow and we'll talk. So I went in the next day um, and that started a three day a week therapy for me that I could do while he was at work and nobody knew about it. I didn't have to write a check. They didn't even know my last name. It was first name basis, no money exchanged, just offering help. And she taught me about abuse for the first time. I didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't, didn't really understand it. I didn't really know what codependency was. I learned about my, my role in it, what I was doing, um, that what what I could control, she taught me to have a plan A, B, and C, which also I think you can apply to becoming sober with the sober toolbox. You have plan A, B, C. If you're at a party, mm -hmm. you feel like you're going to whatever. You have plan A, get on your phone and call somebody. Plan B, leave. Plan C, whatever it is, you know, like I never thought of doing that, like planning ahead, having plan ABC. She taught me to, you know, hide a car key uh, where I could get at it, have a, have a small backpack under the bed where I could just grab it quick and go, um, different things like that. And then she taught me, taught me how to come up with an escape plan safely before I was ready to file for divorce so that I was confident that I wasn't going to escalate the situation. Mm -hmm. And if it did escalate, I had my plan in place. Um, it's sort of like quitting drinking in a way. Um, so I got the nerve to do that. We ended up, I ended up having to get a restraining order because things did escalate. Um, but, um, but I ended up finally being alone in my house and the air quality in my house went from toxic you could cut it with a knife to feeling like every window in the house was open. Yeah. And, and, and we had a safe home and it was, we were back to laughing and giggling and not feeling that there was anything bad. That heavy, that heavy energy. Yeah. It just brings you down. Yeah. So that, you know, that all happened. Um, we ended up going to trial, which was ridiculous because we weren't in a financial bracket that we should be going to a trial for, but it was part of his abusive nature. He wasn't gonna go down without a fight and wanted to punish me. 
and it just didn't work because it, it just didn't work. It was like basically a 50-50 state in, in the state of Connecticut. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be an ax murderer. It's still going to be 50-50. So <laughs> whatever. But I got through it. And um, I would say that uh, I, I, I got through that. But then when I got my freedom, I think the drinking escalated because I didn't have anybody at the, in the house to like regular to worry about. And I started going to happy hours and, you know, going out with my girlfriends and going out and I went on a dating app and, you know, I was having fun. I was back on the loose. I was back, back at 19 years old. <laughs> and, uh, so I went through that stage. Um, and uh, that went on. I would say that went on for for about eight years. Um, and it, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, COVID escalated it. I think it did mm -hmm. with a lot of people. I was home yep. alone drinking, uh, drinking every night alone. Um, of course, liquor stores were considered, what? <laughs> no, a, right? Essential businesses. Essential business. <laughs> Oh yeah, don't I was in the same boat as you, girl. You could, you could, you could. They had the drive up where you could drive up yeah. and or go to the outside window, and you know. And of course, I would go to three different liquor stores because God forbid anybody thought I had a problem going mm. to the same store all the time. Mm. Yeah, don't worry about getting COVID. Alcohol will save you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah uh, COVID home, living, living alone. My daughter moved um, to another state. Um, none of the kids live with me anymore. Um, and so um, I'm alone and I'm, yeah. I'm drinking alone every night and I'm blacking out and uh, not remembering a lot of stuff and getting constant comments from the kids. Mom, I told you that already. Mom, don't you remember that? Like, oh, or, or then the other way around. Okay, mom, we've heard this story already three times. And I'm like, no, you didn't. And they're like, um, yeah. That was I'm that guilty too. embarrassing. I'm guilty. You're yeah. guilty. Yeah. Yeah, when someone says we've heard this or not again or covered this or and then I you just think oh, I better just shut up. <laughs> exactly. I better just shut up because it's like before I keep just digging and digging. <laughs> I know, and then I'm like, well, stop me if you've already heard this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And honestly, don't remember saying yeah. these things yeah. or don't remember yeah. hearing yeah. the story. Really don't, you know, like. Tune out, too. Like, there's blocks in your memory that are just mm. like. Mm -hmm. So that started getting pretty scary. And um, I remember my last drink. And I've never told this to anybody, but I'll tell it now. I went to a friend's uh, where I where um, we, we I went to a girlfriend's and we had dinner together. And I brought my wine, my double bottle, you know, the liter, whatever you call it, right? And and I had it in a brown paper bag because that's how it came from the liquor store, right? And I kept it in that bag because she drank red and I drank white, so that that way she wouldn't see how much I was drinking because it's still in the bag, right? So you're not seeing the level of wine going down, 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 down. 
So then I go to leave and it's time to leave. And she asked me if I'm okay. And of course I'm okay, you know? Um, but really I shouldn't have been driving. So I'm driving home and I've got that bottle with me and I'm drinking right out of the bottle on the way home. And I had never done that before where I was like, I mean, I've had roadies where my, my son used to call them road sodas where you, you know, you have a drink in the car, of course, when you're going somewhere. I mean, I think most of us did that, but like I had never done that where I'd had actually been on my way home and the shutoff switch was completely gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we I was leaving gonna, that bottle there come hell or high water. And it was sitting right there on the seat next to me. I mean, it was yeah. available. Oh, yeah. So Thank I'm you. driving home. I'm on a back road, you know, and I'm driving home and I'm drinking out of this paper bag bottle of wine, you know? And I said to myself, this is fucking bullshit. What mm. am I doing? This mm. is dangerous. Like, I have a grandchild. You know, I've got kids. Like, what am I doing? And so I said, fuck it. I'm just going to finish this bottle and I'm going to throw it out the window. And that's what I did. I finished the bottle, gulp, gulp, gulp. I rolled down the window and I threw it out. And that was my last drink. And I think it's amazing too, you know, that there is a day, and thank God for it, where that just happens. You, you're smart enough woman, we both are, to know that this was ridiculous. And even when I got to the point too, but you, there was something still in you there that was, that was still saying, this is bloody ridiculous. And you know it. And you saw it for what it was, you know, for, at that particular moment. And thank God that we've had those moments because you could have either said, yeah, it's pathetic, but guess what? I need the bloody drink and I need to do this and, and make excuses. But at that point, you did not make an excuse. You agreed with how crazy it had got. And I did the same thing. Did you? Not throwing the bottle out, but yeah, when I said, this is just, this is, I looked at myself in the mirror and I couldn't see anything. I couldn't relate to the person in the mirror. There was blank eyes and everything. And I just said, you wouldn't let your best friend do this, so why are you letting yourself do it? And from that point on, I promised to be my own best friend and my own coach, and I've said this in every podcast, so if you listen to them all, sorry, guys, but it's so true. You wouldn't let someone you really cared about do this to themselves and just kill themselves. You wouldn't think. And even if they told me to where to go I would have said my piece and I've always I've, I've had a bit of a problem with this with my husband because he wouldn't say anything but he says oh well I couldn't stop you and I'm like maybe we just think different but to me that was just a bit of a cop-out because I know that he didn't want to stop drinking and he doesn't he's told me he doesn't want to and he hasn't but he doesn't drink as much as I used to although he was keeping up with me there for a while and we drink different things he drinks beer I drink wine so but I still would have, I'd give it a shot. If I cared about somebody, I'd give it a shot and say, you know what? I don't really like what you're doing or what you're becoming. Because by that point, I couldn't stand myself. And you must have had, I don't know if that was your, was that your first moment of awakening or? No. Have you thought I mean, to yourself, oh shit, I'm in trouble. Like this is. No, because I, I had a few times where, um, where I had gotten like, so like so I guess the word is drunk um out places where I've had people take I had people take the keys away from me and drive me right, home right and somebody else follow and drop my car off talk and I'd be very embarrassed 
right, about that. And then I've, I had other times where I hit the garage pulling into the garage door. <laughs> Bit too close. And then I got all the way home and then hit the garage coming in and I and it's still there I on my mirror I have a red trim on my garage and just to remind and, you yeah and there's leave, the passenger side mirror has has the red yeah. paint sliding along it <laughs> and I left it there I could get that off with rubbing compound if I wanted to but you know what I look at that and I'm like I'm not going to do that again you know so I had other moments but it wasn't wasn't enough to make it click and it's funny the kids never really said anything to me like the kids knew because they know all the fractures. I have a mm. son who's 10 years sober, 10. He was fantastic. Wow. And you know, he never said anything to me. Mm. And when he was drinking, I was all over him trying to save him, you know, but he knew I've talked to him, you know, since I've become sober about it. And he's been a huge help to me, but he was like, well, mom, you weren't going to stop unless you wanted to. And I knew that so, because I didn't yeah. stop until I wanted to. No, and it is truth. That's truth. Yeah. And his moment was like yours. He was, he was a, he was a really big binge drinker. And he just stopped one day when he looked, he looked in the mirror and he didn't recognize himself. And he just cold turkey stopped. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, I, I read one time you, if you don't remember your last drink, it's not your last drink. And that's true, I think. Um, I have not reset since I took that last drink. And, and I'm holding on to that last drink moment. I, I, I don't want to have another last drink moment. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's so easy because I was in that. It is a powerful moment because... That cycle was just the same for me every day. See, I wouldn't. I got to the stage where I wouldn't even put myself out there outside of the home because I didn't trust that I could control my drinking. I mean, I was usually, I wasn't sort of, yeah, but I had, I suppose, a partner to, to take care of me for that. But we used to go to a lot of family functions and um, it was not easy. His ex was always there and the family adored her and, you know, she's still their best friend to this day. But now we live in a different state. We don't have to be, I don't have to worry about all those things. So this is, for me, was the right time to do this because I don't have to be anywhere that I don't want to be. And if it means staying home because I don't want to go somewhere, then I don't. Then I, I'm sorry, I do. I just do what I want to do these days. And I'm not obliged. I think the word is obliged to go to Thanksgiving, Christmas, every birthday, Mother's Day, Father's Day. There was every every excuse in the world. And he comes from a big Irish Catholic family, you know, and there's like 60 of them and they drink, they all drink spirits, they all drink like crazy. But, you know, I, I was the one with the problem. And yeah. that's what was said to him, that I was the one with the problem. Um, I was the problem with the whole family, apparently. Go figure. But, you know, I don't know, I don't know how you cop that title, but, um, you know, I felt it every time I was around them. It was not nice. Um, the ex didn't even bother me. She didn't even bother me that she was there. I obviously bothered her. But, you know, you put yourself in these situations. I thought, why did I do that? I would never have done that at home. It's because I was trying to please him. And then he, at times, could not see what was going on. And I was the one that was over-exaggerating a situation. So, again, people's perceptions of different things 
happen. They just happen. And you can be in conflict about it because the way you see it and the way somebody else sees it can be totally different. But as I said to you, when I looked in that mirror, I did not see, I just thought, who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? And I couldn't even, can, there was no connection with this face at all. And I just knew if I did not stop then that I was going to die. I knew it because I was already dead looking in the mirror. Yep, I identify with that. And uh, my ex had the Irish the Irish Catholic thing too. Huge family of drinkers. Um, every picnic, there was constant get-togethers, weddings, constant drinking. Everybody got shit-faced. Then there was fighting. And they all forgive each other the next day. But there was like, everybody had these like fiery, no filter on their mouth. It was just like, you know, but then you go to confession the next day and it's all better. <laughs> right. Right. And like another one of my like really big embarrassing moments. And I find this incredible that I didn't stop then was um, after I got divorced, uh, my husband, ex-husband got a girlfriend right away. And then a little bit after that, my one of my children got married. And uh, it was here in town and it was, uh, I was left out of the, the wedding plans mostly. Now looking back, I know why. I probably couldn't be trusted with carrying through with the wedding plans, but that made my self-esteem lower and lower and lower. Then the wedding day came and it was gonna be my first time being, he was there with his new girlfriend. And I was there alone. I was the only one there without a without a partner. So I was at this wedding, mother of you know mother of the groom, without a date, without a boyfriend, uh, driving myself. Kind of left out of the plans. I felt very awkward. So what did I do? I just started drinking wine, um, and I was being sociable, walking around, talking to people but not eating. So I got drunk really fast and uh, I realized it. I realized it and then I switched over to water, but I had already broken a foot. Mm. I knew I broke my foot. I limped around on it pretending that I didn't break my foot. I didn't want anyone to know. So I was trying to fool everyone and myself by limping around, trying not to limp because it was raining and everybody was barefoot anyway inside the big tent. And mm -hmm. there was a dance floor that was soaking wet. And it's slippery. And slippery, right? So I had stopped drinking when I broke the foot and I knew it. And uh, so a couple, maybe an hour or two went by and I'm just drinking water. From that point, I was like, okay. Went to leave uh, to take the grand, my, my grandson who was visiting home to my house with my daughter, other daughter-in-law early and the party was still going on and people were dancing and a lot of people were falling down on the dance floor and laughing about it because it was slippery and it would turn yeah. into a slip and slide, right? I bet it did, yeah. Yeah, except for uh, the mother of the bride, the uh, uh, mother of the groom goes to cross the dance floor with the broken foot and it was a weak foot and it went out from under me and I went down and I landed on my my hand 
and I shattered my wrist. Oh, God. I mean, you know, like, here we go, you know, thinking, oh, this is just like, yeah, okay. And the Someone's rest, not loving me today. Yeah, I mean, just hanging like this, right? <laughs> we string you up. And, and like, I'm trying to get up, and my son helps me oh, up, God. right? And I'm trying to pretend like nothing happened. And like, nobody's really paying attention to me because every, a lot <laughs> of people are falling, right? So I was able to get up without like a big to-do and you know got in the car you know when he drove us home and you know I I basically locked myself in my bedroom and until the morning and then I drove myself to the emergency room um looking back that should have been my aha moment uh but it wasn't you should have gone to the emergency room that night because the pain would have been exorbitant the next day. Just yeah, it was, but I felt like I deserved it. And oh god, uh, and 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 you know, I had been yelled, been I had gotten yelled at and by the older son, and uh, screamed and yelled at and told some pretty hurtful things. Um. And uh, I was crying and devastated and in pain. And uh, there, was not, there was not an offer to drive me to the emergency room. Um, yeah. There was just yelling at me um, for falling. And uh, so I just, I went in my room and I locked the door. Um, there was continued yelling through the door. It finally stopped. I stayed in there. I snuck out to get ice out of the freezer to ice it and elevate it. And I just waited till morning and I snuck, everybody else was sleeping. And I just went out and I drove myself to the ER. And, um, and it was not, it was not, it was an extremely embarrassing time. It's a whole different ball game again. So you get your, you get all patched up yet again for I don't know how many times you, you get back home. And where do we go to from here? Was this so? Was this when you really decided to stop and say bingo or no? This nope. was so. This was out before, but it must have been before you threw the bottle through the bottle. Oh away, yeah, right. This was before, yeah. and I'm saying okay. is yep, yep. that that could have been a moment. That could have been a moment where I could yep. have woken up and said, "This is my this is oh, my." We all had them. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but it wasn't because at that point I felt so shitty about myself and so worthless that. You know, I just, I just, I, of course, I didn't drink while I was on the painkillers for a couple of days. But then after that, you know, I think I curbed it for a little while um, because I felt so shitty about myself, but I didn't but stop. This is what alcohol does to us. It I wants us isolated, it. alone, all to itself. Yep. Have you with no self-esteem, completely erode you, completely put you down get you into a situation where you think you're absolutely useless, useless. So guess what? All you want to do. And actually what you're doing is you're feeding all those negative. Oh, this is what we've learned now. We are just feeding all those negative symptoms and those negative things that are happening and that we are feeling. Alcohol just makes it worse when we believed it made it better. Right. And, you know, you think, you think that's your comfort zone. That's my comfort, you know, um, is, you know, a couple glasses of wine, I feel better. My anxiety feels better. Everything feels better. That yep. was like my yep. best friend. 
you know. Yeah, we're thankful. Oh, I feel better now. Do, 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 do. But, oh, geez, I need another one because I was, gee, I don't seem to be getting that buzz. And, you know, and off we go to the races. Yeah. Yeah. I forget who said it. I forget. It was one of the podcasts um, that uh, that I just listened to recently. I think it was one that you had just done about prelapse or something. And it was oh, uh, yeah. Karina and I that did it, yeah. feeling, that feeling of, yep. I want to say the set, but the first glass of wine is just a little bit. Second glass of wine, you feel really nice. If you could just keep it right there. But no, you think, well, if this feels nice, the third one's going to feel even nicer. And then the yep. fourth one's going to feel even. And, and by that yep. time, my shutoff switch is broken. Yeah. The valve well, that's what is happens. open. <laughs> no, you're right. The first 20 minutes, the buzz is there and it's great. You think, you feel relief. Oh, God, I needed that, really. This is what we're telling ourselves. No wonder why we believe it, okay? And then after the 20 minutes or the half an hour or whatever, it starts to wear off the buzz, and then we're just chasing after that. We're just chasing the next one and the next one to get back to that original feeling that really you're never going to get back to. So it's all it's all just a game and a joke. But it's also, you know, it's just a web of lies that we believe. Because that initial feeling is, well, I did feel good for that first 20 minutes or half an hour. I know. It, and it's hard. So why can't I get it back? Oh, I just need more. No, I you don't need, need more because you're going to get worse in the long run. And that's a hard one to learn and accept because it's all kind of, it's all over the place, isn't it? But it's reverse. It's in reverse, yeah, of what we thought. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so hard to stop. Because that's exactly what it is. That's I think it's why it's called so addiction. Hard. I think it's called addiction. That's it's called addiction. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it, it's like, I guess it applies to other addictions. It applies to, Absolutely. you know, gambling and all the other types of addictions there are. You're chasing that, that, that little, that feeling that you're after. And can, um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, I can remember my mother years ago saying to me, I remember I was a teenager and she said, you know, she said to me, you know what um, what addiction is? And I, she can't say it out of the blue. Maybe she thought I had a problem back then, which I probably, I was partying very, very hard. And I said, what's that? And she said, when you start something and you simply can't stop. Just as simple as that. And it is. You start it something is. with, it's a bucket of ice cream. Or I'm, I'm doing it with eating at the moment because the addict's laughing at me eating. He's coming across addiction. And I just don't want, like with these bloody potato chips, these ruffled sour cream and onion, I can't seem to stop eating them. I just can eat a whole bag and then I just want to, and it's not even about the chips. It's about something in my brain that's still not, it hasn't fixed itself. And the book I'm reading at the moment, um, about Dopamine Nation, and it said two years it's going to take for this whole thing to get back into whack because I'm we've, we've, the same book. I'm reading yeah. the same exact book. I'm about three quarters of the way finished with it. And I think it's one of the best books I've read on addiction. She's fantastic. And I'm praying that. I get to talk to her soon. But yeah, you know, and the thing is these neurotransmitters and you and they says, you know, your prefrontal cortex, if it's small, then this is why well mine must be the size of a bloody marble at the moment <laughs> because it needs pumping up. <laughs> and you know, and feeling that it's all about the dopamine, isn't it? It's all about the reward system. You know, oh, I've had a hard day at work. Let's get a beer. Or let's get a wine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I guess, you know, trying to replace it with other things that are not harmful um, is is good. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I think all of us turn to sugar and eating. 
it yeah, well, that's because like- there was so much sugar in the in the wine to begin with. Um, and again, it gives you that feel good. Sugar's sugar's one of the worst things you can actually consume. Truth be known, that's what one of my uh, my doctors told me once, and I actually believe it. It's as addictive as just everything else. But anyway, so let's get back to you. We don't want to talk about sugar. We want to talk back back to about you. So you throw the bottle out, and you you know that things are getting worse. So how did you did you prepare to stop, or did you just nope. go cold turkey? Yeah, I didn't nope. either. In fact, um, I've got wine in the house. <laughs> I've got wine in the house, and I'm not tempted to open it. I I I had stocked up that week. Like I I had played all those games, you know, like. Um, okay, I'm going to buy expensive wine in smaller bottles, and then I'm only going to drink one bottle. Well, buy the one bottle, bring it home. <laughs> this is how powerful down. the mind is. The, the brain is an amazing machine. I tell you what, it'll do what you tell it to do, but go on. <laughs> yeah, bring that one bottle of wine home and drink it, and then I'm back in the car going back down for Correct. another one. See, you know? I was smarter than that. I would buy in bulk. Because I knew I didn't want, I think I was thinking that fast forward ahead. Now, if I get one, I know I'm going to want two, possibly three. So let's just get to three. Because I can remember even being with Hubby and he'd go, do you want one? And he'd say to me, no, you're probably going to want two. <laughs> you and I knew. And by <laughs> the end, I didn't even hide. I'm like, just throw three in there and be done. And that way I ticked off that, oh, that danger zone I wasn't going to have to deal with. With the driving. Going yeah. back out. Or going back out. Yeah, yeah. Well, luckily I could usually walk, but just the effort of having to go and get it. I got really lazy before drinking in the end. Oh, well, it's terrible. Terrible. Yeah, and I started stocking up then too, you know, like mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. during COVID. And me too. You know, I would buy like and then I well, I did the box wine for a little while, and that I, I did realize that was super freaking dangerous because number one, you can't see the level. It's in your fridge. It's got a spigot. All you have to do is put your glass up to it and hit that little oh, button. Yeah. I know. It's like this endless supply of IV going yep. into you. Until and then, you shake it and it's empty. You're like, And then I I'm ripping didn't. the box apart, right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like and squeezing the bladder to get the last drop out yeah, of the it. The story you know? doesn't change much if you talk to anyone. I think we're, we've all done that. But I, and then I'd be really angry. I'd go, oh, no, I didn't. Oh, yes, she did. Yes, you did. And then, you know, mm. I don't know, like, if you guys have uh, re recycling, but, like, here we have curbside road, road recycling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'll go to shoot where I live. It just all goes down there. Yeah, I've got, like, the two the two bins, you know? And, yeah. And, and yep. the one that has the recycling, I'm dragging it out to the road, and it's heavier every week. Yep. And the yep. bottles are clanging away in there. And and I, like, look in there, and it's freaking full of wine bottles. You know, from one week, you know, and I'm like, holy shit. Didn't bother me, though. I mean, it felt a little bad about it, but it was like, no, I didn't do any, I didn't do any prep work. I mean, I, I knew, I knew I was overdoing it and I knew someday I wanted to stop, but I'm really grateful for that one moment. I think just doing that, driving home drinking out of that bottle in the brown paper bag just clicked something in me. And that, that was my moment. And I came home. I still, you know, I have, like I said, I have wine in the house. I have vodka in the house. Doesn't bother me. You know, every, when I get invited places, I bring that stuff and I give it for hostess gifts, but like, and I'm not going to buy it just to have it on hand, but Hey, if I had company, 
if somebody wants wine, they can here, take it, but then take the bottle home with you. But I'm not tempted to drink it. I've had plenty of chances where I could have, I could have had drinks and I, I am not interested. I really don't ever want to go back there. Um, I find the reward now I never would have thought, never would have thought in a million years um, that once you, once I got through the beginning, say first month, um, that it would just become easier and easier and easier. And that I actually have more fun now than I had when I thought right. I was having so much fun. I, know, and I, right? thought, I was like the life of the party. I thought I was having so much fun and not realizing that I was slurring my words and probably acting really freaking stupid. And now when I go, I've been to like numerous events this summer um, where I've been like, my lipstick is on straight <laughs> and I'm not stumbling around and I feel confident and I'm not saying stupid shit and I feel really good. And, and I'm having and you more still look, You still look as good at the end of the night as you did when you walked in. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so true, isn't and it? And capable of getting home. And capable of driving home. And your clothes are hung up the next morning and they're not just on the floor. Yeah, and, and there's no stranger in your house. <laughs> yeah. Well, there can be someone in your house, but you don't want it to be a stranger. Yes, no, no, that's no. That's true. I'm yeah. only kidding, really. Oh, only really kidding about that. No, but it's I true, though. You know exactly the way you wait. You remember going to bed. You remember waking up. And it's a and it just feels good, as I said, that trust in yourself again. Yes, I trust myself, and that's really huge. Um, I'm also being really careful about where how I walk now, where I really wasn't before. Even on days like I drank every day, but even on days that like say I didn't start till five o'clock, let's just say during the daytime, I wasn't like looking down where I was walking and being careful about not stepping in a pothole or tripping over a branch on the lawn or, you know, just misstepping on a step. I was just being careless, not probably in a fog, you know, from the night before or whatever. But now I'm like really conscious of like, I'm not going to, I don't want to break a foot again. I don't want to break an ankle. I don't want to fall. You know, um, it's such, I, I even, I even shop for shoes that have thick, like I can't wear really much heels and here where I live, it's so hot. I'm just in flip-flops all the time or thongs as I call them. But, you know, I won't buy a shoe with a thin heel because I go, I'll go over it. It's got to have some support in it, you know, just in case. So I buy very practical shoes now and things like that. And I do tend to walk now and I watch what I'm for the kids that, the footpaths where I live and everything are just shocking you know it's all over the place so these things isn't it funny how much more cautious we are and we think now we think before we do something yeah it's not just going along in a, in a haze and oh whoops trip you know next minute you're flat on your face because you fell down the curb or whatever you know and even you can do it the day after like you said in a fog you know just yeah you don't even have to be I didn't have to be even drunk I was just I thought I was just clumsy no, well, I was just not paying attention. Yeah, you're close. I think clumsy is the right word for it. Like even like the next day after drinking the night before, let's face it, you're not firing on all those cylinders. 
and you're you're no, sort of you're still in a you're still in a fog state, and you're not really paying attention to what you're doing physically, or mentally. No. You know, it would take me twice as long to get anything done. Like in my, I have my own business. I I have a, a business that I run out of a studio on my property, so I don't have to drive to work. Um, but like, it would take it would take me twice as long to get anything done because I felt like shit, you know, mm. or foggy brain. Um, now I feel more organized. Um, my memory is starting. I'm starting to feel improvement in the memory department. Yep. Um, which is really big because I'm 68 and, you know, from what I've read and stuff like that, alcohol can cause, you know, early Alzheimer's and all kinds of issues. All kinds of things. And, and, you know, I have to grab onto what I, what time I have left and make the best of it. I want to live the best life I can live from now on. Yeah. And let's face it. Now that you're sober, you might have added 10 years or 15 years to your life. Whereas if we had so. to kept daily drinking, you know, people are living longer these days. And, and that's the good news. It's never too late to turn it around like we have. And you and I, I know, because we talk a bit, we, we do the books, we do the Zooms, we, you know, we, we engage. And I want you to, to just, I don't know if there's anything more you want to add before we tie things up, but it's just t- any tips that you can give the listeners and tell them what is working for you now. And just a, a brief of, you know, what you've learned now that you are at, 200 and you know 50 odd days or whatever we are yeah well i would say uh the ias app uh totally totally was my lifesaver i don't think i could have remained sober without it i found that counter probably the first maybe after the first week because i started to feel wow i got six days in seven days in like I want to keep track of this, you know, and I just was looking for a counter like so many other people and stumbled upon it. Um, And then pretty much right off the bat, Holly found me and she invited me into a ladies group. And that ladies group has been, has been really, really good because it's, it's like a texting for any of you that aren't in one. Um, it's kind of like a private text that goes on between maybe 10 or 11, uh, women and we're all in different time zones. So, you know, you can vent, you can cry, you can ask for advice or we, we joke around, um, or we get, we get serious when we need to. And, you know, it's always there in your pocket, on your phone, the quit lit books, um, I still, even eight months in, I am still on Audible. Uh, I listen to Quick Lit probably every day, just a little bit at a time. And the podcasts. Uh, I listen to other people's stories. In the beginning, in the very beginning, I I was immersing myself in other people's stories. Because it really made me feel like I wasn't alone. And... I could identify my I could identify myself in everybody's stories a little bit here and a little bit there and oh my god I did that and oh my god I felt that way and 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 those podcasts made it real um, and then I got the nerve to go on a Zoom. Um, the Zooms are great because the people from the app, a lot of them are on the Zooms 
So now you have a face to go with that that handle or that name. Um, and then, you know, we talk about stuff. And these people have become my close friends now. Right. Um, like, yeah. honestly, I mean, I've had to call a couple people in tears. Um, have gotten me through some really rough patches. Um, I just feel like, honestly, connection, connection and communicating. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to join a group or cry or tell somebody what you're going through because, you know, somebody's going to help you out. And um, there's people out there that have had a lot worse problems than me. And there's people out there that have not had as many problems as me. Um, but we all have the same problem, addiction. Right. right. Yeah. And, and that was beautifully said, I've got to tell you, because it is that, it is about, and this is the reason that I do these, is because I was alone when I started out and I'll never forget that feeling. And now I'm not. As yeah, I've I was made the friends. Too. I see the faces. I didn't know you. You didn't know me, <laughs> you know, eight months ago. And here we are. And I feel like I've known you forever. And when we see each other, it's like, oh, it's so good to see you. You're doing great. And, you know, if someone slips, someone slips. It's not at the end of the world because you've done more, you know, alcohol-free days than, you know, just the one night that you, you know, may not have intentionally meant to drink. And that's when we did that podcast. We said, you know, a slip is just one unintentional night. You know, a relapse is when you don't go back to your recovery program and you abandon ship. Well, all the people that I know have slipped have come back and still here because you miss your friends too. You miss the camaraderie and the support and seeing people. And and it is like, start, it's like having another life, but a life where everybody's really nice and supportive and there's no, there's no like hard, well, I wouldn't say like there's no bullying or nastiness or any of that. It's just a mm. really good environment to be a part of and it makes you feel good. And there's so many people on the app. You know, I looked at day two and three the other day. And there's over 4,000 people in each of them. That's 8,000 people just in two days. That's amazing. So many. So there's a lot of people trying to get sober. And God bless you. I wish you all the best. And, and you know, look at Namaste and, and I. We, you know, you can do it. And I have no intentions of turning back now. And you do have to work it. We know that. Um, but there's always so much to learn because you discover things about yourself, you know? Yeah. And it, it's like having multiple sponsors, like an yeah. AA, an AA, you yeah. go, you might go to a meeting one day a week, right? Like in my town, there's like one or two meetings a week, right? And they're all men. And, and I've gone to them when, when I was going with my son and they're, you know, they're basically all men and you know yeah. them all. And you're going to run into them on the up, uptown and whatever. It just didn't, it didn't click with me. And then, you know, you're supposed to get a sponsor, but it's not supposed to be somebody of the opposite sex. And there's all these things. And like, I feel like with IAS, you have, there's a hundred sponsors out there if you want them. I mean, there's people that you can connect with any day, any hour, any minute of the day. And you you can go on there and you're going to find something that's going to help you, whether it's reading somebody else's stuff or, and for, for those of you that don't know, if you're just starting out, you can jump ahead just because you're on day one, you can jump ahead and you can read, you can read stuff that yeah, people are posting. Yeah. 
in, yeah. in at, at a year, or you could po- read other people who have been successful at staying sober, you know, for a few months or a year, whatever, and you might find something there. And then you go back to, I go back and I read the day one and the day twos and the weeks and, you know, and, and I try to maybe post something that will help them. And, you know, it, it just works. It's amazing. Yeah. And that was the thing when I um, had sort of confided in somebody that I had stopped and I hadn't really told anybody. And this person had been sober for a long time. And they said to me, just try and keep busy. Well, listeners, if you want to keep busy, get on IAS because you will not have enough time in the 24 hours to even cover all the stuff that's on there. And not only does it have the addiction to alcohol, there's actually a drop-down button with all these other addictions as well. So this is like a massive global app that can fix any addiction or help you with any addiction that you have. So that's about all for me. Is there anything else you want to add before we say goodbye? Namaste. Um, no, I, I just want to say thank you to, um, to Drifter um, and um, for starting the... Um, the uh, Sober Town um, website, uh, putting up all these episodes um, for Todd, who I really enjoyed um, for the scientific information on 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 what it does to your body. His his podcasts are really really You're brilliant, interesting yeah. for people who are starting out or at my stage. Um, thank you all. Um, thank you and Polly for for the ladies groups and um and just for everybody out there who's reached out to me and given me what i needed to hear um to to help help me stay this way because i love being sober and i don't i don't i don't have any any regrets or any plans of of ever drinking again i feel strong and it's because of all you guys and the support that i finally have Finally, at 68 years old, I finally found the support I needed. And it didn't come and, in a doctor's office. No. <laughs> it came right here. Yeah, and it came from within you. And that's the thing. Everything you have as far as doing this, you have inside of you. You've just got to find it. And, and I, it's I ba- think every, it's ba- most people do. They just They just need to find the niche or... And communicate with people. And as you're communicating, you're discovering. And as you're discovering more, you learn more. And it all starts to make sense. And keep your motivation up. You've got to have the motivation to do it. And do it for yourself first and foremost. And, you know, the second motivation might be, like you said, your grandchild. You know what I mean? You don't want to ever not be there for the people that you love. And, um, yeah, look, it's a terrific thing. There's, There's just... It's all benefits. It's just all benefits at the end of the day. So, you know, do it for yourself. Give yourself that gift and you will. You will have just a much, much better life. So I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. Namaste. You're going to help a lot of people. There was a lot of stuff in there. And, um, again, if we go away and you think of other things, we can come back and you can do a follow-up and we can keep on going. Because, as I said, the two things that I do this for is to help people and to help them not feel lonely and to know that there is help out there. So with that, I'm going to say on behalf of myself, King 13, I'm going to say ciao and namaste.
Thank you. Namaste. Thank you. And the light, have a great day the light in me honors the light in you. Oh, I love That's that. That's what namaste means. Lovely. Gorgeous. All right, guys, take that with you and have a blessed day. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.